Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we are set to take up another special topic. Again, each and every Thursday, I respond to a question you have given me. And this Thursday, we are going to respond to a question that I more or less touched upon before, but certainly did not develop. So back on March 1st, I was asked a question about how do you advance in the spiritual life? And on that Thursday evening, I really reflected into the question of who is God, and if we are going to advance in the spiritual life, well, we have to understand the spiritual life, right? And, and you do that by exploring the question of who is God. And so on March 1st, 2018, I was kind of going there. What I want to do for this evening is on the heels of that program, and maybe we can call this evening a part two, to that evening, so part one would be March 1st, 2018, part two this evening, I want to take up the keys that we might be present to in our transformation in Christ. So on March 1st, 2018, again, there was this emphasis on who is God, who is Jesus Christ, so as to better understand how to participate in Jesus Christ. As I never got into the keys and the principles that's what this evening is about. So this evening is responding to the question, how do we advance in the spiritual life? And what are the keys to be present to as we advance in the spiritual life? So what can we say is the first principle of our advancement? And, and what I want to do is kind of reword the phrase advance in the spiritual life to our transformation in Christ, because that's what's happening. So let me say then, what is the first principle? What is the first key to our transformation in Christ? The first key, the first principle to advance, to, to be transformed in Christ is desire. Desire, my friends, that deep yearning to put away the old man and put on the new cloth of Christ. The desire, the longing, the craving, the yearning to become something fundamentally different in Christ. Now, as all things in the spiritual life, we are to understand this within the context of grace. That is, the grace of desire that God has put into our hearts by the gift of the Holy Spirit to change. So then the first principle of desire really has us reflecting into the importance of God's invitation. What do I mean? Well, my friends, is not God the one initiating? Is not God the one knocking on the door of our heart? What do we read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Could we not say that knocking on the door is a nearly universal request for entrance? I spoke to this the other day, but in a different context. The verb to knock is an act of action, right? Not a passive position, like waiting around for you to come outside, per se. 
The verb to knock is a respectful request, not a fearful force, like breaking down the door and barging in. This request, my friends, for entrance into the center of your life is part of that universal call of the Lord Jesus Christ, is it not? Jesus never imposes or forces, but proposes and invites. Why? Because love can only come from within, never without. You can never force love because the moment you do that, well, it ceases to be love, right? Love is always free. So he invites us. He says, as we echo Philip to Nathaniel, come and see. Right? Philip reaches out to Nathaniel after he has encountered Christ. He explains to Nathaniel who this Jesus of Nazareth is. Nathaniel says, oh, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. What do you mean? Philip says, all right, very well. Come and see what I mean. Come and see what I mean when I speak of Jesus of Nazareth. He knew. He knew what Nathaniel was in for, right? Because he knew what the encounter was about. He knew how Jesus invites us into a relationship with him. Incidentally, the word invitation, coming from the Latin invitare or invitatio, means to be pleasant towards, to summon, but also, my friends, to challenge. So God's invitation to man could be summed up in Philip's words to Nathaniel, come and see. The invitation leads to the encounter, and the encounter leads to new questions, which in God's grace and mercy will always lead to new beginnings. Yes, these new beginnings will have its challenges, but brothers and sisters, challenges exist to be overcome because all healthy challenges call us forth to be the best version of who God is calling us to be. So again, as we speak to the invitation, as we speak to the encounter, we come back to desire. I mean, the whole of the spiritual life is synonymous with desire. So it must start there, right? It is synonymous with that longing. In the words of St. Teresa of Avila, that wounded ache, you know, that ache you feel when you're not with your beloved and all you desire is to be with him or her. It kind of overwhelms you existentially if you're not with him or her. This is what we strive for with God. This is why St. Teresa of Avila was wounded if she felt she was not in the presence of God. So the whole of the spiritual life is about desire. And this desire is something given to us by God. In the end, could we not say that our life's journey is about that quest to desire God as much as God desires us. So this first principle of desire is the fundamental precondition to our transformation in Christ. It is, we can say, the primal gesture to the light of Christ that has reached our eyes, the original gesture towards God. It is the consequence of our consciousness being in need of redemption on one hand and the comprehension of being called by Christ on the other. My dear friends, it is always to remember that there is a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be, and it is in the constant process of living in that gap and becoming that person we ought to be that our transformation never ceases. Lastly, we should say that in the light of this principle of desire, which can also be called the readiness to change, right? 
brings to light the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who long for God the same way our lungs long for air. This is the first key. This is why it's the first beatitude, oh, by the way. Because all of the other beatitudes, the whole Sermon on the Mount is hinged, is linked to that first beatitude. Why? Because if we're going to advance in the spiritual life, we first need to desire to advance in the spiritual life. All right. The second attitude of our transformation in Christ is that of contrition. When our souls meet Christ, the encounter bears the mark of what but contrition, genuine sorrow. It would be enough to say that when our heart is smitten by Christ and we echo those words of Peter, depart from me for I am a sinful man, Lord. You are stepping into that principle of contrition. Now, what happens here in this principle? Well, a confrontation of our own selves with God, which renders us conscious and aware of our own unworthiness and sinfulness. Suddenly, the guilt we incur burns our souls and we reject evil and revert to God. Genuine contrition leads to genuine resolve. And we know it is genuine because the absence of friction is tangible, right? I was just talking about courtships and and how we might long for our beloved. Well, my friends, you know when you are not sorry if you say you are sorry. Why? Because if you are present to the person where there might have been some mishap and there is still a great deal of friction, something's going on there, huh? All right. What else here? Well, Contrition is a word that speaks to sorrow, but also a word that means crushing or literally to be crushed. That kind of crushing that leads to genuine sorrow and awakens the soul in its depth. Because our encounters with Christ, when they are real, well, then they should awaken the soul to its depth. Again, my friends, real change is what we're talking about as we go through these principles. Now, third is that all-important principle of self-knowledge, and we might spend the most time with this one. If unconditional readiness and desire, along with contrition, constitute the initial steps in our transformation in Christ, then the next decisive step along the road is self-knowledge and truthfulness. Truthfulness, my friends, is absolutely foundational to our transformation in Christ. What do I mean? (laughs) If we fail to recognize who we are for exactly that and nothing more, who we are as created in the image and likeness of God, then we fail conversion. In other words, truthfulness must be present if God is going to transform our hearts and awaken within us those areas in our life that we are called to change and grow out from. It was St. John Paul II who once said that an excuse is worse than a lie because it is a lie guarded. You see, my friends, the more we excuse the lie, the greater the task is to protect the false self. And we should add here that the virtue of humility instructs us here, huh? Because the humble person does not judge himself to be smaller or greater than he actually is. The humble person is not troubled by self-interest. 
The humble person is not scarred by reputation, and for that matter, even failure. Humility is the mother and fountainhead of all human virtues because it truly sets us free. So we avoid the false self by being humble and honest with ourselves. And in so doing, increase in our knowledge of those areas in our life, those faults in our life that are holding us back in experiencing the superabundance of God's joy, the superabundance of God's merciful embrace. Now, we should also be aware of the role that our mind has in our conversion, right? The word repentance comes from the Greek metanoia. It literally translates as a change of mind, a new way of thinking that leads to a new way of acting. So a change of mind, the mind is important in our conversion. Our volitional acts, the acts of our will, are conditioned to our cognitive apprehension. So the uprooting of our vices requires a thorough knowledge of our shortcomings. Essentially, being equipped with an interior knowledge of our faults is quintessential to our transformation in Christ, especially as this knowledge becomes a point of focus for us to work on. So fruitful self-knowledge has us confronting God and in turn allowing God to challenge us in the spiritual life. We have to be very intentional here, very intentional to work on the very thing that we might be struggling with. I know in the past, a long time ago, once upon a time, it was the norm for the religious to identify one's particular sin And once you have identified that particular sin, you would work out that sin by doing the opposite. So if I struggled with pride, you'd be very intentional to work on humility. If I struggled with status and prestige, you'd be very intentional on finding the lower place. So you have to be intentional. How might we better understand this? Well, here I often give the analogy of something I experienced when I was playing basketball in high school. I'm right-handed. And my junior year, I remember we were scrimmaging. It was before the the season started, and I was driving to the basket. And my coach blew the whistle, and he said, Joe, come over here. Do you realize why the defender is able to get in front of you so easily? I said, no. (laughs) He says, because you can't dribble with your left. I said, okay. He said, so what you need to work on is dribbling with your left hand. I thought, all right. So the next day in practice, my coach actually tied my right hand behind my back and the whole practice he had me dribble with my left hand, right? Well, what do you think happened? In our first game of the year, actual game, I was able to get by my defender. Why? Because he had to play both my right hand and my left hand because all throughout the game, I was also going to my left. So once I identified my weakness with my coach's assistance, by the way, (laughs) Oh, by the way, that's a plug for spiritual direction. You need someone's assistance to help you see what you need to see. So once my coach identified the problem, I was then able to work on that specific thing. And guess what happened? I became a better basketball player for it. All right. So transferring this to the spiritual life, what we are made to do is kind of chip away at those things that we need to let go of, and at the same time, work on the counter virtue to help us progress in the spiritual life. 
And to use the phrase chipping away really gives this whole topic its proper context and texture, and that is holiness. What do I mean? Well, holiness is like a sculpture. Leonardo da Vinci defines sculpture as the art of removing. Now, it's interesting that he would use that phrase because all the other arts consist in adding something to something else. Color to a canvas in painting, stone on stone in architecture. We could even say note after note in music, right? Only sculpture, though, consists of removing, of taking away the pieces of marble that are in excess so that the figure can emerge that one has in mind. My friends, Christian perfection and advancement in the spiritual life is obtained like this. Holiness is obtained like this by removing and making useless pieces fall off. Namely, those ambitions, projects, carnal tendencies, we could say, that disperse us and, and leave us finishing nothing. Here I am reminded of the great story that comes to us from the life of Michelangelo, where one day he was walking through a garden in Florence, in Firenze. Huh? He saw a block of marble in a corner protruding from the earth, half covered by grass and mud. As the story is told, he stopped suddenly, as if he had seen someone. And turning to his friends who were with him, he exclaimed, An angel is imprisoned in that marble. I must get him out. And of course, armed with a chisel, he began to work on that block until the figure of a beautiful angel emerged. You know, God also looks at us and sees us this way as shapeless blocks of stone. And he says to himself, therein is hidden a new and beautiful creature that waits to come out to the light. More than that, the image of my own son, Jesus Christ, that is hidden within. I want to bring him out. This is what God says to us. All right. How about the fourth attitude of our transformation in Christ? This has us going back to the Beatitudes, and that is the principle and virtue of purity. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ makes clear the importance of purity and the result of possessing it, right? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Now, on one hand, this Beatitude refers to the purity of heart, body, and intellect that prompts us to see the goodness of God. If you were to go to the Greek, Cathodos, it translates as pure, clean. But when you probe deeper, there's something else there because the Cathodos best translates as just not pure, clean, but without mixture or to be one thing. So the value of purity really speaks to one's single-heartedness for God. Immediately, one can see its importance to the spiritual life, right? I mean, how can we possibly desire the one thing that is God if that desire is being mixed with something else? What if you mix black with white? Will your paint be white? Of course not. Of course not. So herein lies the call to see this virtue of purity as quintessential. What's more here, my friends? The cathodos also has a rich historical context. It directly alludes to the Old Testament Levitical priestly rite of purification. 
Here, the pure of heart are individuals who have not been corrupted by defilement or profanity, but again possess that single-heartedness that has been consecrated to God. We read in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that our lives are to become a spiritual worship, a, a holy and acceptable offering to God. It's that beatitude, right? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. In the end, my friends, we are to allow Christ's purity to invade our soul through and through, because as the Catechism reminds us, His purity is what guards the intimate center of who we are as children of God, and as it does, opens us up to become that holy and acceptable offering to God. All right, so this brings us to the final keys that unlock our transformation in Christ, recollection and contemplation. Recollection, we could say, is that deeper condition of all truly wakeful and deeper modes of living. Now, of course, contemplation is its kin because it is the source that feeds our life in Christ, which really becomes a crescendo for us in our place of fulfillment. So, in recollection now, we can say that we have the opposite of distraction. By distraction, we mean that inability to focus and concentrate on one point, where our mind flies from one object to another. Now, I want to hit the pause button here because I think there's a fascinating insight that comes to us from Mary's pondering in Luke chapter 2. The Greek word for pondering is symbolane. It also means to throw together, to compare, to weigh facts, to piece together. In effect, my friends, Mary, who was pondering when she found Jesus in the temple, was balancing and counterbalancing, if you will, weighing and measuring the revelation that she was the mother of God, who is now what but just not a baby, but a 12-year-old. And how did she ponder? But by keeping these things close to her heart. What we see in Mary is not only a weighing, but also a piecing together of a series of events that she was slowly being made to understand. And here there is a further insight to be gained because when you contrast the Greek symbolane, meaning to throw together, with the Greek diabolane, which means to throw across, to scatter, the Greek word diabolane is where we get the English word diabolical, which we often translate more generically as belonging to Satan or the devil. So you see, my friends, Satan's function is to leave us scattered, thrown asunder, confused about everyday life. We overcome the tempter's tactics by piecing together, making sense of, in God's grace, each situation and person we encounter in our, in our everyday life. In other words, we overcome Satan's diabolane by imitating Mary's symbolane, her pondering. And so it is. We turn towards the attitude of recollection that counteracts our preoccupation and side glances. Now, in recollection, we have the virtue that allows us to move out from the interior world and into the exterior world. In the virtue of recollection, we are constantly going outside of ourselves, right? We observe, we grasp, we take possession of, we fashion, we arrange, where we ask such questions as, what is that? Uh, why is it so? What does that resemble? And so on and so forth. 
The out and back and back and out, this constant interplay which makes up our whole life is about the virtue of recollection. Now, in speaking to this, it does not take much effort to see the close relationship between recollection and how we are to understand contemplation. That disposition of being awed before the presence of God and the consequential intense gaze. Contemplation is the gaze of faith fixed on Jesus. In the words of St. John Vianney, I look at him and he looks at me. It is a gaze into the sacred. In point of fact, the word literally translates, that is the Latin contemplatio, the act of looking at. Well, the act of looking at what? Well, get to the Latin root there, templum, where the word contemplation comes from. The Latin root templum means sacred, sacred ground. So contemplation, my friends, is about looking at that which is sacred. Sacred. So contemplation, my friends, is about that deep, deep looking at Jesus Christ. A looking at that feeds the soul. All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. What can we say just by way of review? Well, in these principles of desire and readiness, contrition, self-knowledge, purity, recollection, and contemplation, we have the keys that help us better understand how to advance in the spiritual life, how to go about from one day to the next in the way we ought. And brothers and sisters, know this, the things we talked about this evening is but an echo of what has been talked about for 2,000 years, right? I just tried my best to package this in in 27, 28 minutes. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.